From crypto winter to crypto geopolitics, from ChatGPT to AI avatars, from zero-proof identity to CBDCs and new forms of GovTech. Join inventors, artists, musicians, gamers, bankers, policymakers, and rebels for a discussion on how technology is reshaping our world. From our offices in Dubai, this is the UAE Tech Podcast. The labels are done. That game is over. There's that. I think personally, the Drake was kind of the last artist to actually get through the system before the whole thing changed. Right now, I would never huh. recommend anybody going to a label. I mean, remember they own. First of all, they own all the streaming networks. They're making more money now than they've ever made because they're yeah. off of their catalogs off of that. They don't really invest anymore into artists. That's why they've started all these like pseudo small labels that connect to the big distribution. So they let let other people deal with that. But it's very hard to break an artist. But what's so beautiful about this business is is we're now moving into what I call hives. You know, so I want to say, if you want to survive, you got to build a hive. Smaller groups of people around your business. I always tell this story, and I've told it a million times, and I tell it in every podcast. I went to uh, a meetup, an NFT meetup here in Los Angeles about six, eight months ago. And, uh, oops, sorry, about six, eight months ago. And um, there was a... Uh, 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 a girl gets up, she's 19 years old, and she goes, I'm a photographer. I love photography. I eat, drink, sleep photography. All I want to do is learn and get better at photography. I got into NFTs nine months ago, and she says, now I pay all my rent, my car payment. I live 100% off my NFTs. And she said, I carved a little bit of the smart contract off for my community center. And she was so proud. She says, I'd already given them two and a half ETH. And at that time, it was about $10,000. So tell me, how many 19-year-old girls that nobody knows has actually been able to create a business around what she loves and also giving $10,000 to her community center? Scott Page talks so fluently on NFTs and emerging Web3 infrastructure that it's almost easy to forget his previous incarnations as a saxophone and rhythm guitarist for Pink Floyd, Supertramp, and Toto. Scott grew up around the storied Sound City Studios, where his dad, Bill Page, introduced him to music, TV, radio, and technology. As a young man, Page was cast in the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries, and in The Young and the Restless. Scott went on to found or partner in a generation of tech companies, working with the likes of Quincy Jones, Monty Python, and others. So it's fair to say Scott knows a little bit about the entertainment industry. Why did the past have better music? but more centralized music contracts. How are NFTs saving artists in LA? And why is there a darkness as well as an opportunity in generative AI? We're excited to have Scott Page on the show today. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Um, so you were at Jitex last year. You've been to Dubai. Um, what oh, yeah. were your impressions last year? What do you think of the scene here? And what was someone who has been a rhythm guitarist and saxophone player for Pink Floyd, Super Tramp, Toto, and worked yeah. in the technology scene doing in Dubai? Wow. Well, first of all, it was my first time. To, and first, first, thank you very much for having me on your show. Um, 
You know, that was my first time uh, to uh, Dubai. And I got to tell you, I was blown away. I, I really didn't realize what was there till I got there. Uh, you know, it was very interesting. It, I think my first impression was is I felt like I was in Las Vegas. It's a very Las Vegas, deserty kind of feel. But, you know, just the amount of technology and the buildings and the, you know, the whole scene, it was incredible. And I had no idea how big Jitex was. When I got there and I couldn't believe it, there was like 12 to 14 of these buildings, massive buildings filled to the rafters with uh, technology and gear. So, yeah, it was it was actually fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I can see why a lot of my friends are actually moving over there right now. Uh, yeah, it was sort of interesting. You know, my career has really been around uh, technology, uh, around entertainment and technology. I grew up in a uh, musical family. My father was a musician and I grew up on a television show that he was on called the Lawrence Welk show, uh, which was a, a weekly variety show. Uh, it's still on television. It's actually, I believe I'm not hundred percent sure, but I, I think it's probably the long one of, if not the longest, one of the longest running television shows in history. And it's still on. It's crazy. It's a funny thing. But so my father being a musician was also a serial entrepreneur. We had boat businesses, lighting businesses, candy businesses. We had 26, donut shops at one time my father was uh, the co-inventor of the wah-wah pedal the famous guitar pedal that everybody wow. knows and also started uh, um, uh, sound city the recording studio it was originally called vox sound lab sound city became one of the you know top recording studios in the world kind of like the los angeles version of abbey road incredible tons of uh different albums came out of there but so i've been in the tech space i've launched four companies uh been that kind of guy that's in between uh technology and entertainment and, and really been focused on that i did my first uh CD-ROM, which was back in 1992, uh, called Toonland, which was the what they consider the world's first interactive musical cartoon that started Howie Mandel. So I got really heavy into the tech space. And so since those years, I've launched four companies and in the in messaging, real-time messaging business and platforms. And I'm on my fourth company right now. We just launched a, a Web3 uh, NFT platform. And so being in the tech space, um, you know, getting around. And the reason I got to uh, Dubai is I belong to an organization called METAL, which stands for Media Entertainment Technology Artist Leaders. It's pretty much a organization has been around for about well, almost 30 years now. In the uh, and it's really the tech and media entertainment folks. And there's a ton of folks in the blockchain technology space. So they I've been just around this whole thing for so long. And so, uh, yeah, my career has been around that tech. And so going to, they were, uh, uh, Ken Rakowski, who runs that, was the one that invited me to come out there, was working with Oscar and uh, myself, along with uh, OG Arabian Prince uh, from NWA, the band. We went out and we spoke there and we actually played some gigs together. So that was fun. But yeah, um, mainly technology, entertainment, combination of all that business. Business is something that I'm really, um, I love a lot. You know, it's not just the music and the art, but I love the, the, the art of business. And so I try to combine those things and, you know, getting out there to buy was really exciting and I can't wait to get back actually. Yeah. There's a lot there to unpack. And, you know, I remember, um, metals doing a really good job. I remember meeting, uh, you know, a lot of these guys last October at JTAX, and you're right, it's just a massive event. Just all, you know, the, the traffic and the, the oh my God. tens of thousands of people coming. You have to be there to see it. Kind of shuts down the it's whole so city. so well run. You know, I have, I have to say it was really well run. I go to a lot of these conferences, but it was really 
very well organized, I felt. And um, it was actually a, really a, a fun trip. And I can't, like I said, I can't wait to get back. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, you know, we can talk about why musicians and entrepreneurs like yourself are getting interested in the blockchain and it has seemed to be con kind of converging around the space. And also, as you hinted at the start, kind of converging around Dubai as well at the same time. Um, yeah. So there's two kind of mac macro trends there. But you know what? To begin with, I just wanted to very quickly go go back, back to, to, to back when you were first getting started, different times. But a lot of our audience I know are curious um, about what America was like back then, what the creative industries were like back then. Um, I think there's something we can talk about later, which is this meme that's going around social media right now called Stuck Culture, which is like every movie is a sequel. Every music uh, track is a riff of something that has been done before. We can talk about that that a bit later, you know, and, and how technology can maybe change that. But to begin with, I just wanted to ask you, what was it like, you know, I know that I, I know the story of Sound Steady Studios on Sunset Boulevard. I know that, you know, this is a studio where Fleetwood Mac was playing Nirvana. Um, apparently a lot of others, I think Guns N' oh, yeah. Roses did a demo there or something. Uh, your dad was working for Radio Corporation of America. So you were kind of growing up in yep. a historical kind of culturally you know, historical period in America. How did that influence you? What do you think looking back on it? How does that inspire your work today? Well, you know, it's actually, first of all, Sound City was uh, actually in, uh, in, in Office of Pullman, and so he wasn't in Office Sunset. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, there was like, you know, a lot of the big albums came out of that place. And, you know, during those days, um, you know, the music business and the whole thing was totally different. Obviously, we had no cell phones, yeah. right? When you <laughs> went out, you had to find a phone booth if you wanted to do anything. Uh, yeah, crazy. It was really an interesting time because we didn't have synthesizers or any of that stuff. And when we recorded, you know, we we had to, you know, we only had so many tracks. I remember one of my first, the first tape recorder I got when I had that was a task, uh, was a TAC four track. And that was a big deal having a multi-track because we were recording albums on, you know, eight track tapes, uh, then went to 16, then it went to 24 track. And then finally, then digital came along later on. Then we, we had digital tape was the first one. But in those days, it was so, you know, it was so much different because, you know, we'd go in and we'd do sessions and, you know, go to record. We'd all come in at the same time and we'd all play together and we were forced into having to commit, right? Today with the music business, we have, you know, unlimited amount of tracks. We can fix everything. And, you know, it's very interesting that, you know, I I always say that the most dangerous button on the recording console is the solo button, the button that lets you hear exactly what's on that tape. Because what happens is you start to listen to that very closely and you start to realize, oh, that was a little out of tune. It isn't that the whole, that's the whole auto-tune debate though, isn't it? And that's oh, yeah. a meme right now as well, right? Because you've got the... Uh. Kind of, you know, you've got the kind of yep. jazz types that love that kind of husky, husky voice. And then you've got the like Ariana Grande is great, but she sounds too perfect kind of thing. You know, uh, that's yeah. the I mean, whole auto-tune debate. Yeah, we've become basically victims of overchoice is what I what I say, and especially in the music business, because when we what's so interesting is when we used to cut tracks, you know, we'd go in the studio and uh, 
you know, you'd kind of muster it up, try to get everybody's attention. And we do like three takes in a row where, you know, everybody plays together, mm -hmm. the drummer, yeah. the bass player, the guitar player, the rhythm section, right? We would play and lay down a bass track and then we would overdub on top of that. And it was so interesting because, you know, when you played, even though you played the same song like three times, it's like the second take would have a certain set of energy to it. Mm. I mean, even the tempo, I mean, sometimes we'd play to the click. And you would think it wouldn't be that different, but each take had so much personality and difference about it. And now, you know, I go in and I do records. It's like, I'll go in and play on stuff or people send me tracks. I'll just roll, throw, you know, two or three takes down and uh, hand them the, uh, hand them the, uh, the tracks. And now they put it through the system and they flip it and twist it and retune it and change the time and stretch it. And they sort of, take in in some ways i mean it's interesting because it makes something that's kind of cool but it really takes a lot of the personality out of it and i think that's one of the things that's so different like if you look at the records like you know like let's take pink floyd or or you know the rolling stones those records just stand the test of time and what you're actually getting i believe is you're feeling and hearing people think and feel right it's just a totally different thing and sometimes those little mistakes like you know you'll hear something you know you'll cut a track and it'll sound fantastic to you and the next day you come in you start listening and then you start using that solo button you go oh it's a little out of tune and so then you go and you start fixing all the pieces the next thing you know you got a record it sounds good but it doesn't have any soul because you've mixed it all out 100%. where so often the those little mistakes those little things become part of the personality of the record that really makes it unique and so you know making records and working back in those days you know we had to go into the studio where you know you couldn't just record on your laptops everybody wasn't in the studio so getting in the studio it was expensive at the time we were spending you know 250 dollars an hour to get in the studio so it was always a thing you you'd get in there and you'd try to get your work done and get out so but it was those were really fun times because you know we were seeing so many musicians because we'd be doing sessions where you'd have one at 10 then you'd have one at one and then you'd have one at four Right. So you could just go from studio to studio. You'd work with your friends and all your pals. Now everything is so done where you just either they send me the part and I do it at home and I send it back to them. So there's a lot less interaction and, uh, you know, really that camaraderie of, you know, showing it up at the club that night. And that was the time you'd go hear people play. And now everything is just it's sort of so connected that we don't have that same kind. It's funny, we're more connected, but we're actually not as personal as we used to be, right? So it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting times now uh, to uh, make records and do things. It's such a different, different sense of how we recorded. You know, we would used to throw microphones in toilets to get freaking reverbs, right? And, you know, we'd figure out ways to pound on boxes to create sounds now everything's in the computer right it's not quite yeah. a, it's a different kind of invention i think there's some nostalgia for that i mean you know i think people are talking about it particularly as you've kind of got some of this this ai stuff coming out where you can literally generate you don't even have to use the software anymore so it's a lot quicker and it's a lot cleaner and it it does look as you say perfect but I was talking about this exact thing with a friend recently and we were kind of, we were talking about it in different art mediums. So like the Mona Lisa was actually painted over something like a dozen times before they got the right, you know, it, it just kind of clicked. And a musician that's really popular in uh, the UK is Amy Winehouse. And yeah. I, you know, her, her sound is like, has that kind of imperfect raspiness. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's what sure. makes it real. And and like all our performances have aged so well. 
because of that. Um, yes, you feel the person thinking, you kind of get into their soul. You, it has a different sense of feeling that comes across the tape that, or comes across the recording that is just, you can't duplicate. And you're right. I mean, the AI in my mind is like, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's incredible what it's doing. It's actually frightening <laughs> at mm. a level that mm. we can go down that rabbit hole. You know, I'm very <laughs> concerned about what this represents mm. uh, for humanity in so many ways. Um, you know, we, well, we can go down that one. But, you know, from the music side, it's it's gotten everything just so perfect. So we're almost like, it's like zombies or something. We're listening to something that just ha doesn't have any soul. It's perfect, but it really doesn't have the same thing. And I'm, and, but you're hearing things. I'm hearing some of these voices. Now they got the vocals where you don't even have to have a singer. You can drop them in and it sounds incredible, but there is something still missing that is just, it's just, there's, there's a sense or something that doesn't come quite across. Now, what's fascinating is I found, you know, we did a couple shows this uh, last, I guess it was uh, not this year, but year uh, last year we did the, uh, NFTLA and I produced the two events that night. The first cool. night was we did a whole live show with we did a Pink Floyd show where we did a kind of a, a tribute, not a tribute, but a, yeah, an exploration of Pink Floyd that night. Place was jammed. The vibe felt great. It was incredible. The next night we had a real big time uh, a DJ and uh, you know kind of a techno guy, and it was so fascinating because both nights were set up exactly the same at this place called Wisdom, it's immersive dome park. We had all the same sponsors. Every, nothing changed except for the music. And what was so fascinating, you could feel the vibe in the park. I mean, it was the first time I remember this. The day we did that, where it was kind of the live music and people were there, and it just had a different feel. The night of the disco thing is that it was almost like. It, it 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 was it was automatic that you move, but it had a darker energy to it. It had a very, very interesting dark energy. So that night did not feel as upbeat and as 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 alive as the night that had the you know the the two contrast was extremely different, and that was mind boggling to me because all we did is turn the place off, shut down. We just changed the music, and the whole thing completely changed. I kind I kind of know what you mean. I mean, we're going on a slight creative tangent here, but I I like creative tangents. I'm similar to you. I've spent a lot of time in the creative industries and and in the tech scene. But uh, we we spoke to a guy called uh, Brett Leonard. I don't know if you know him. Uh, he was a Hollywood guy. He did uh, Lawnmower okay. Man. And oh, um, oh Brett yeah. Leonard. Oh yeah, I know Brett, Brett Leonard. Brett's, Brett's yeah. a good friend of mine. Oh yeah, yeah no, he was he was actually that, talking yeah. about the AI and and stuff and. You know, well before oh, the ChatGBT oh, stuff yeah. launched, we had a long discussion during during that episode with him on the UA Tech podcast about some of this stuff. But he said something really interesting because he was like, look, I was hanging out with these VR guys in the 90s. And, you know, I did Lawnmower Man, which is, is kind of slightly dystopian. It's about like the, you know, VR and getting lost in virtual realities. But he said back in the 90s, a lot of what we were producing was really optimistic in America. Yeah, we had our problems. But a lot of what we were producing had that kind of feel-good vibe. We were ha I was always out. I was hanging out with people. We were creating this art that had this, you know, this sense, this sense of something, you know, exciting. And he's saying, look, I don't want to be on a downer, but I don't feel that same sense of optimism in a lot of the movies of the art that 
I, I watch now. And, you know, I still love this stuff, but I, I'm not even criticizing it. I'm just saying the vibe is slightly different. Um, and, you know, I think that's interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, again, it's, yeah, again, I kind of equate, you know, when I think of AI, it reminds me of, you know, consciousness is my favorite subject, right? This whole internal mm. journey I take. And so when you realize that you're, you're, there's just kind of a thinker and a watcher in you, right? There, there's this thing that thinks, and then there's the soul that really makes the decisions because, you know, your mind is incapable of knowing truth from falsehood. It doesn't know right from wrong. Your mind can't make that. And that's easy to prove. If the mind was capable of knowing truth from falsehood, there'd be no war, right? Nobody would do that. So it's really that internal voice, that that sense of, uh, of oneness that's there that speaks through you that is the thing. And so AI to me reminds me of ego, of 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 the thinker it's all accurate it can think but it doesn't know right or wrong it doesn't know whether it's telling you the truth or whether it's biased or it's doing things i mean that's one of the things that scares me the most is you know the the, the information being wrong and then just keep you know perpetuating wrong information and also the fact that it can be driven with bias so whoever controls the algorithms controls the people so there's a lot of crazy dangerous things that go on with ai and especially as it starts learning from itself which we're now starting to see and we're getting information that's coming out that's that's wrong so uh yeah it's it's it reminds me of just being the thinker and it really doesn't have that voice that really says you know that's really not a good idea that i do that it just spews it out there and whatever happens so yeah very interesting i agree with brett it's like it's gotten very dark which is, you know, and I don't want to be a downer either, but you're feeling this sense of darkness. And I think the people are starting to feel that too. Yeah. Welcome to the machine, right? Oh, buddy. Um, <laughs> welcome to the machine. Another yeah. brick in the wall. Boy, yeah. Floyd, Floyd has really figured it out. That's for sure. When you listen to this stuff now, it's, oh my gosh. It's a, they saw it coming. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, how, you know, how do you feel as an artist about some of this stuff, because very soon, in fact, so I can already go on ChatGPT and say, write me something in the style of Charles Dickens or, you know, whoever it is, Dostoevsky, any writer. Very soon, very soon, I'll be able to, you know, go on a AI um, video generator and say, I want a music ensemble. I want the guitar in the style of whatever, you know, Jimi Hendrix or whatever, I want the saxophone in the style of Scott Page, right? And it, it synthesized everything on the internet. It will, you know, do whatever it does, look at all the build big data, and it will put something on the screen that could sound plausibly something like you. You know what I mean? Oh, big and, time. And how do you feel yeah. like that as an artist? Well, you know, first of all, I think humans are designing themselves out and they don't even really realize it mm -hmm. right now, right? I mean, if you think about AI, it's just you've got millions of people every day putting their information into this thing. It's just growing like a giant brain, right? And we don't have really any idea of where this is totally going to lead. I mean, we have an idea where it's going to lead. And, you know, to be honest, it doesn't look very pretty right now because it's unfeathered. It's just, it's just going, right? People, I don't think you can stop it. Uh, you know, as far as the artistry and stuff, it's it's interesting. You know, I think that, you know, we're going to see a loss in the music because you're right. I mean, right now I could just I mean, what you just talked about can already be done. I have friends making yeah. full blown albums with all this artwork and everything just sitting at the computer, you know, mm -hmm. writing prompts and creating tracks with this stuff. And it really 
you know, it, it's it's really more about taste and less about art, right? If if you, if you oh, that sounds good to me, right? You can just that doesn't sound good to me. I'll try it again, right? So I think we're watching, you know, humans basically completely design themselves out. I, I don't, I you know, I don't mean to be crazy, but again, and you know, consciousness is unfolding. That's our only job on this planet. Period is to help consciousness unfold. You blink, you're fifty. You blink, you're on your deathbed. So at the deepest level, at the thing, we're really just energy, right? We're just, we're just uh, some form of. Uh, you know, science down there at the at the energy level, at the quantum level, that is maybe when the machine is that. So are we just merging as as, as uh, life forms into machines now? Is that the case? So maybe that's just where it's going. We can't stop it. But definitely it's so fascinating to have them, to, you know, create stuff in your style. I mean, I'm already seeing things like that where people are doing that. So yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm. It worries me mostly from the soul and the the that that communication point where we talk at a different level, where we're not really we're, we're feeling things let more and less about hearing things or that right. So that feel is starting to go. But and to people coming up that never heard it the other way or never spent enough time, it sounds fine to them, right? So, right, right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's definitely very. I mean, these are insane times, and you you know the biggest thing that I see that we are in is we're kind of in a war against centralization and decentralization. Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a decentralized maxi. I'm about as decentralized person that you will find that because I believe it represents freedom, and that's why I love what's going on with you know the tech and the NFT space. To me, NFTs, once they're truly understood, the power of my thing, first of all, everything is going to be NFT. I don't care if you own a yoga studio or a hair <laughs> salon or whatever business you're in, people are going to start using NFTs because you can build business models on them and you can create experiences. They're incredible for telling stories. So for me, it is they represent freedom for the people in an opportunity. And I mean freedom at the highest level where you got a direct-to-consumer, wallet-to-wallet communication, you know, uh, interaction get to control your destiny in that sense that you've got this decentralized platforms. And I think that's the battle that we're in right now. And I'm very concerned about being put onto a centralized uh, banking system, which would, I think would end up being pretty much slavery for the people. Yeah. We, we've we done some episodes that. on that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's frightening. Yeah. And so you have that going on, you got the AI going on and uh, you know, we've got a lot of things going on in the world right now that are, that are changing, but you know, what's fascinating is you see the people are starting to kind of wake up to all of this, right? They're starting to see this. You're seeing the, them standing up all over the world and saying, wait a minute, something's not right here. What's going on. So my hope is, um, my hope is, is that we will be able to figure it out sooner than later. Uh, but it's definitely a little frightening what we're watching go down right now. Yeah, I, I and I, I agree with you, and I think that's a great overview. One of the the quotations I always love, I think it might be Dostoevsky, but I can't remember, is that artists are the most dangerous people in society because they mix with all manner, they mix with all levels of a country. Yes. You know, they mix yeah. with everyone, so they kind of have a pretty good sense of what's going on. And I think that overview you just gave is is definitely interesting from the perspective of the UAE Tech Podcast because we've had, you know, bankers, artists, NFT guys. Um, CBDC guys, you know, the whole gamut. Um, yep. And you really do get an insight into the way technology is reshaping everything. But I think you're right to kind of talk about NFTs. Um, and I guess, you know, a question on that might be looking back at 
you know, when you were doing your work, there was that human side to it. There was that energy to it. I think a lot of, you know, the music you guys made will never get old and, and will age in a way that's different to some of the, the music that the younger generation of my generation grew up with. At the same time, not everything was perfect, right? You know, there's a lot of talk about how there was centralization, how artist contracts were pretty, pretty exploitative, particularly when you were up and coming, you know, and you're dealing with like a big studio. Um, and there's a lot of artists, even like, you know, on Twitter and on social media, like massive global artists who've been like, hey, when I got started, the way they treated me was was really bad. And like, you have no chance if you don't do exactly what you're told. And so do you think, you know, as an artist that not, this isn't just a great, you know, technology and it offers new opportunities, but it can, it can change the kind of art that's made it can change the way artists and musicians express themselves and it can make them a little bit more free a bit a little bit less owned by the publisher or the kind of centralized capital than before or is that just a pipe dream no i i think definitely i mean we're already seeing i mean i i right now in the business because um, i'm in the tech business all my friends i have a lot of music friends and they're all reaching out to me now going what do we do we can't sell music anymore yeah because because right? you're not a luddite are you i mean uh, we haven't got got into it but one of the things you did throughout your whole career was invest in like cd-roms audio visual experiences you know you work with quincy oh, yeah. jones all these other guys Oh yeah, no, I've been in, I've been in this tech business space for a long time. I've my my whole career has been sort of that person that can talk enough tech and talk enough to the artists that I can be sort of the translator between them because you mm -hmm. know when you're you know I worked with so many engineers, I had engineers in my company and I realized, you know, when you're when it, when you're a creating as an engineer, they want to know whether they 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 want a spec that's very clean. It's either on or it's off or it's yes or no or you know, they don't want any like Oh, put throw something on the wall. Let's try and experiment. So you know the creative guys, artists like us, we're constantly experimenting. We're trying things. We're doing. That's the worst for an engineer. They hate that when you start say, "Hey, let's try this." No, no, let's try this. Oh, I don't like that. Let's try this. They don't want that. They want it direct. So my career has really been sort of translating, mm -hmm. being able to get to the nitty gritty, get a tight spec, but also you know service what the artist is going to be. But yeah, there's no question that um, you know this 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 whole technology thing that's going on right now, really for me, this, the, the labels are done. That game is over. There's that. I think personally that Drake was kind of the last artist to actually get through the system before the whole thing changed right now. I would never huh. recommend anybody going to a label. I mean, remember they own, first of all, they own all the streaming networks. They're making more money now than they've ever made because they're yeah. off their catalogs off of that. They don't really invest anymore into artists. That's why they've started all these like pseudo small labels that connect to the big distribution. So they let, let other people deal with that, but it's very hard to break an artist. But what's so beautiful about this business is is we're now moving into what I call hives. You know, so I want to say, if you want to survive, you got to build a hive. Smaller groups of people around your business. I always tell this story, and I've told it a million times, and I tell it in every podcast. I went to uh, a meetup, an NFT meetup here in Los Angeles about six, eight months ago. And, uh, oops, sorry, about six, eight months ago, and um, there was a... Uh, 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 a girl gets up, she's 19 years old, and she goes, 
I'm a photographer. I love photography. I eat, drink, sleep photography. All I want to do is learn and get better at photography. I got into NFTs nine months ago. And she says, now I pay all my rent, my car payment. I live 100% off my NFTs. And she said, I carved a little bit of the smart contract off for my community center. And she was so proud. She says, I'd already given them two and a half ETH. And at that time, it was about $10,000. So tell me, how many 19-year-old girls that nobody knows has actually been able to create a business around what she loves and also giving $10,000 to her community center? That's unheard Man. of. No, that's, that's a, the people's movement. Yeah. This is the people's movement of freedom because we don't need that many people anymore to, to actually build a really solid business. So there's a thing that... Um, uh, that um, uh, 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 Kevin Kelly from Wired Magazine came up with, and that was uh, a thousand true fans. A true fan yeah. is somebody that will, get, you know, that will spend one hundred dollars a year. And if I have one thousand of those fans, there's my first hundred thousand dollars in revenue. I argue that this has even gotten more down that it's really the first hundred or 200 fans and you can build a business because now you can build a relationship around your, your art. You can create, put rights, roles and permissions. I mean, when people realize that NFTs are really a contract that you can build the rights, roles and permissions into that I can attach to a physical or a digital good. And then I can hand that to somebody else and they can build on top of it. So the idea to be able to create with my community and build and all share in the kind of the wealth, I can now start empowering that because I can build in the contract, my royalties and all that stuff. And then I got this little uh, robot network called the blockchain over here, basically uh, handling all my transactions and stuff for me. So this is really an incredible time for the independent artists. I mean, I have friends um, you know, Gabe Weiss, who uh, I belong to all these NFT communities. And uh, one of our communities, there's a artist named Gabe Weiss. And Gabe has been building his audience. Well, he did his drop in the down market about two months ago uh, and basically sold 5,000 pieces out in, in five minutes because of his community. Mm. You know, it was a couple million bucks. That's like crazy. How often does that happen? You got mm. guys, artists like Spotty Wi-Fi, who, how many people know who Spotty is? Well, he's in the community. His first drop, I think he did close to seven, $800,000. So there, this is a business. This is an ability to build relationship and build and build rewards and loyalty into the NFT community and build these gated communities using NFTs for access control. And there's so many opportunities for this, for the artist, and to be able to build this direct-to-consumer wallet-to-wallet business model. I mean, it, this can empower a lot of people without having to have, you know, millions and millions of people. So... It's a very exciting time. And for me, it's all about onboarding as many artists and as musicians as possible to get them into this game so we can basically take take back the power of the currency and, and control of the audience because whoever owns the audience wins. That's the game right now. It's kind of true. And, and I guess part of the idea is it's the artist now that owns the audience, not the platform. Yep. And the artist isn't just, you know, controlled algorithm algorithmically from advertising revenue and you know when that nft is resold in a year two months five years time that artist can still get a little bit of a commission or a royalty via smart contract automatically trustless you know yeah. that doesn't have to follow up just comes goes direct on a real resell straight into their wallet 
So that oh, there yeah. does seem to be like a massive amount of control. And I love the thousand true fans thesis and, you know, the idea that it can be 50, a hundred, um, and you, you know, you can still do great things with that. And, um, yeah. you know, you can build on top of it going forward in all sorts of new ways. So it sounds like you're kind of definitely going with the thesis that these changes are real. Cause you know, there's a counter argument that, when Web2 started coming out, there was a lot of stuff about how YouTube will empower the creator community and how we'll have a renaissance. And it was kind of co-opted and it was kind yeah. of taken out by centralized power. And you've got some of these people now on, you know, Professor Galloway and all these other kind of uh, mainstream blogs. You have this debate saying, well, you know, the capital in Web3 is still very concentrated. The same VCs on this space as the ones before. You know, you might be using whatever it is, this NFT website, but it's still owned by the old guard. But what you're saying is that, no, there's something authentic happening here. You just need oh, yeah. to start understanding it. Oh, big time. I mean, that's where people don't understand. Once they grasp it, you can see the freedom that's there. Uh, you know, we we just launched our platform just a few weeks ago. It's called Loot8, and it's really, it's fully decentralized. Uh, at, and what's wonderful about the decentralized thing, it's it's got, we built this sort of experience wallet that's tied to points and loyalty and relationship. It's got all the social built into it. It's easy onboarding. All you need is an email or a, one of your social things you can get in. So we've got a way to onboard and really kind of get artists to be able to do it. And what's beautiful about it is they own all the data. We don't store any data. We don't even know who it is. It's all blockchain. So it, it allows for a more, uh, 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 a real relationship that can be put together with the artist and the fan at a totally different level mm. and a way to monetize that in a much different way. And so, you know, I'm definitely a believer that uh, I teach a thing called space and space stands for story, plan, army, conversion, and then either education slash execution is the E. And it's mm. really this whole model of telling stories. NFTs are incredible for telling stories. It's the greatest storytelling device I've seen in a long time because I can I can build story in them. That's what makes NFTs so powerful and, and why people care about them. I can build relationship. I mean, build, build the relationship into it by gated communities and being able to bring different people together that care about different things. Uh, it allows me to go monetize direct with these people uh, I own the data. So if I decide to leave, I can take all my audience with me. I can take all my data with me. I, I don't have anything. So it, it gives that freedom to the artists where the centralized powers, as you spoke about, were the problems. That's why they own all, the, you know, that's why you make any money on Spotify and all those are owned by the labels. The labels are making all the money. The artists aren't. But now we have a way to move everybody off of these social platforms. Like I tell everybody, you want to build your own you want to now start with this type of technology, which we didn't have, these gated communities of your super fans, because that's where the money's at in the super fan. We know that one to three percent of your your audience will be 60% of your, your revenue will come from a small group of people. Now I can build those, those things, build that relationship with them. And then really look at all the other networks, Facebook, YouTube, they, those are just funnels to move my, the people right. that really care about right. me and my art into something that I can have control and control that will control with them to where we can build together. Cause this is a very collaborative space. 
So, yeah, you know, I think, you know, the labels are that game is pretty much over for most artists. I would never tell an artist to go get a label deal ever because it makes no sense today. They take all the, you know, they basically lock you up. And if anybody wants to see how the record labels work, there's a movie called Artifact by from Jared Leto from um, uh, uh, 30 Seconds to Mars. I recommend it highly to anybody that wants to see how the music business works because the whole movie is about well, 30 Second to Mars and their relationship with electoral records and how after multi, you know, platinum albums, they were still in the hole at about $1.6 million after they got started. They've had multiple albums. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's almost like uh, pay, you, you, you put all that money, they give you that money. It's like loan sharking, right? Then yeah. you pay it all back and all this stuff. So it's been a horrible business model for years for artists. And so I think, I truly believe that this is, gives us the freedom to kind of build our own, our own network. You don't need to have that many people, a hundred, couple hundred people can, now you can start building, creating a living. Uh, it's just really learning how to, use your build the art merge your art together right it's not just about making a record it's not just about making a picture it's really about creating new forms of art where you're kind of combining visuals art together collaborations with other artists it's like my collection right now i've got 10 nft artists building on top of my my project on mm. what i built i handed it over to them and said hey you go take this and build something too now i got 10 guys building on it one other thing I want to bring up that I think is really important is I think, you know, again, NFTs allow you to build businesses without having to go get any capital right out of the gate. And what I mean by that is like I've been a, a part of multiple projects. I Somebody came up to me and said, look, I got a killer NFT drop. I'm going to do this project. Here's the utility. Here's here's all the business around it. Here's why we think it's going to be successful. Look at the team we've put together around this. Hey, do you want in? Let's go. We said, yeah, okay. So now everybody gets carved into the smart contract, right? And we all work together. The day the drop happens, we all get paid at the same time. So I'm seeing people start businesses without having to go get capital. It's almost like the new LLC. You're bringing people together. You put them into the contract. You work like crazy. You do your drop. The money happens. Everybody gets paid. It's a fantastic way to do projects now without having to really have capital. Now, you have to have something good. You've got to be able to convince the people that it's valuable and that you're going to be winning. But that's like any venture, right? You've got to go into the VC and you got to pitch them on your, your business plan and why it's going to be successful and how you're going to use the money and all of that. But now you have this structure that everybody trusts, that they know they'll get paid because they're in the contract the minute the thing sells. So that just changes the game like crazy, right? So I, I'm so bullish about this tech. Now, I'm also very scared of the tech because if it's put in the wrong hands and it's done wrong, it can be very manipulation. I mean, I don't know if everybody, I recommend a book to anybody out there if you haven't read it called Hooked. It's Hooked, How to Create Habit-Forming Products by mm -hmm. uh, Ariel, uh, I can't think of his name. I forget, but just look up Hooked, How to Create Things. It basically shows you the hooked model and the hooked model is like four trigger variations that if you do these four things in a row and you just keep repeating it, you basically hook somebody into your product and they go in this book and they explain and they show how Instagram and Twitter, all these mm. uh, social networks build this model in to get people connected and hooked. Same thing can happen with NFTs and this stuff because it's storytelling. It's a way of hooking. So it's really about, you know, the human condition uh, as we move forward is will humans put 
put a positive spin in all of this stuff and try to make it work for humanity? Or will we get taken over by those that want to basically control and, and uh, you know, basically take humanity to another place? So, yeah, it's a very interesting. I believe we're in kind of in a spiritual war at the highest level. I, I truly are at the highest level, kind of a good and evil thing that's going on. Because uh, now we're seeing the power that in the wrong hands, we can be very manipulative and, you know, humans for, with behavioral science and everything can be very manipulated. So those are the things that worry me the most about this. And that's why I really work for this, the concept of uh, decentralization. And when I say that, I'm, 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 I believe there's a place for centralization, but there are going to be centralized systems inside of decentralized world, right? So there'll be certain things that if I want to leave, I can get up and leave that centralized system because there's some places that centralization makes a lot of sense. Um, but at the same time, we can't, getting everything on a centralized situation is really, especially our monetary system is very, very dangerous. Wow. I Mic drop. I just wanted to let you riff. There's so much you just said. That could be a whole other whole other podcast. But yeah, I mean, there is there is there is so much there. Um and it's nice to kind of have that positive um slant on the NFTs. Uh, I've never heard and we've talked about NFTs a lot on the UA Tech podcast. I've never heard of it described as a storytelling device. That's a really elegant way of capturing all the different use cases of an NFT, you know? Oh, yeah. I uh, mean, like us, we look at them as, for me, us and our platform, it's really about, it's it's about access and access control and experiences because NFTs, you can build experiences on. Like mm. you can't build, there's nothing else that can do that. And I can mm. move the rights, roles and permissions around of that particular thing. That is such a powerful concept. Yeah, And I can it is. cut people in and I can bring people in and I can collaborate. And now I can create an experience and I can do drops where I can, you know, like in our app, people can collect these, these passports, these experiences, and they mm. can take those assets and go sell them out on open sea. Right. <laughs> you know so there's actually value that can be exchanged mm. now in a very unique way. And it's, it's just opening up the doors for incredible business opportunities. And uh, again, I believe that this is a collaborative world. What I'm loving about the NFT space and the communities I'm in is I feel 30 years younger because I'm now in a space where everybody is wanting to work together and collaborate. It's it's fantastic. Now, will it stay that, is that true. way forever? Yeah, I, I guess know, we'll but see. Right but now it's incredible. I don't think, yeah, I mean, I don't think people understand the culture within the the NFT and blockchain space is is super cool. Just really yeah. nice people, collaborative people, extremely wow. intelligent people yep, as yep. well with like no snootiness. You know, they yep. just want to learn. They want to do cool stuff. I think the other thing that talking to you comes through that I think even some techies miss is that they see the NFT, you know, they see the kind of JPEG or the front cover of it, right? Oh, yeah. But they don't see the smart contracts and the relationships that have been empowered by that technology that underlie it. And they don't know how different that is to the kind of recording contracts. You know, you talked about that Jared Leto movie that existed yeah. in the past and how, if you're a creator or an artist, that's a really big deal that allows you to behave completely differently. Yeah. And, you know, big you told, you know, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say big time. I mean, I totally agree with that. You know, and one of the things I've tried to explain, and maybe this might help some people if they're not thinking about it, you know, when you think about, you know, going beyond the ape, right? You know, the board ape yacht club. I mean, think about it. That company went from zero to $4 billion in like two years. 
Yeah, did you see the yacht party crazy, here? Right? By the way, did you huh? see the Bored Ape yacht party here a few weeks ago? No, like I had, three weeks I... ago. Yeah, they had a massive yacht party on the. Oh yeah, yeah. So was, people don't also... understand why that is. They say, "Why would I pay a million dollars?" Well, now it's not a million now, but you know, for these mm. this JPEG of an ape. Yeah. Well, they, let me, this is where they don't understand. This is a decentralized brand. And what I mean by that is, ten thousand people bought these apes. You know, they're all unique. Everybody has them, but what they get is the rights, roles, and permissions to that ape to build on. If you look at the the ecosystem that uh, Yugo Labs has built around that, there's board water, board hotels, board coffee, board clothing lines, board shoes. Now there's four apes that I heard that signed a deal with CAA to create a television show. Yeah, so yeah, I try I've to seen explain, that. Mm. Imagine and, uh, uh, Nike, and if you think of the swoosh, the little Nike swoosh. Well, let's imagine there's 10,000 different ones, a red one, a blue one, a green one, a yellow one, stars, stripes, whatever it is. But you get the rights to that to build your business on top of. So it's a decentralized group of people taking that art and then building on top of it. That concept where I can just hand it to somebody and know that I got this robot network, the blockchain managing everything is extraordinary from a business point of view for people. So once people start to really look at the use cases that are coming out of what's going on uh, with uh, NFTs, they'll start to see that for me, first of all, it's the most important technology to come along in a long time for the people that I've seen. That's if we can control it and not get all these crazy people trying to take it away from the people and centralize and put mm. all these rules. Which which will happen, on. right? There will it's, be yeah. there will be a battle over that. But it's already happening. Um yeah. and, and that, by the way, that is a a current or a tension that's throughout the whole UA Tech podcast. One of our first episode first episode was with John McAfee. Who's a real oh. character, almost like a kind of oh, yeah, I knew John. pirate. I knew yeah, John. He and was, he was one he, of our metal brothers. So really, we, I knew John. Oh yeah, yeah. He, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, he oh, yeah. he had like a stunning first episode, and this was a while back. You know, it's like two years ago. But he yeah. talked about how it was gonna. Oh, this is before NFTs. Um, mm -hmm. he, so just over two years ago, actually, he was gonna. He talked about how the blockchain would unlock all of this wealth, all of this opportunity. He talked a lot about Bretton Woods financial institutions. I'm sure you know his thoughts on all this stuff. Oh, and yeah. I kind of played devil's advocate, right? Because I was like, well, what about the role of government? And he got really irritated with me. He didn't realize like, I wasn't shrilling for this stuff. I was like captivated yeah. by what he was saying. Yeah, and yeah. he was like, no, no, you know. But I think. Yeah. He kind of felt like, huh, maybe this guy's right about some of it, you know? So it was a really right. interesting discussion. And I think I, it was, it, and then subsequently in the episode, we've spoken to policymakers and regulators and those kind of guys. And a lot of what he said would happen has happened. And at yep. the same time, the kind of sent the push centralization has happened too. But, you know, so that's fascinating. And it's interesting that, you know, artists and musicians are super aware of it and, and fighting it too. But, um, you know, to, yeah, I to think kind the of... CBDC is going to fail. I, I hope so. Failing. Yeah, no, I, I mean... think it's failing. Mm. It already is. You're looking at countries all over the world that say, "No, we want to be sovereign." You know, you look at what Russia's doing with the gold and stuff. They're they're definitely not going to get on. But Putin's made that really clear. He doesn't really? want to be on the central centralized yeah. system. You know, you've got Ecuador now moving into Bitcoin. They're trying everything they can to discredit it. Uh, you look here in the United States. We got states now in our in our in our country that are saying no is that CBDC, florida no cbdc and then we've got a congress now that holds the purse strings that are saying no so if the u.s doesn't do it and you have enough people happening out there 
Um, it's the word is getting out that this is a very bad idea, like extremely bad idea uh, for the people. You can just look at what's going on in China with the social credit scores and everything else. So this is I think it's it, I, I think it's dead on arrival. I think a lot of this globalist stuff that's going on is crashing and burning right now. You know, we're clearly watching the the uh, new Green Deal collapse. Uh, that one is definitely falling apart. But anybody that could free think could see that we weren't ready for all of that yet. We, you know, we can't just be pushed onto this whole battery electric world right now. You know, it's so funny. I never hear anybody say, hey, what happens with those batteries? When yeah, yeah. In the it's, ecosystem. It, it, Have you ever seen how a battery's made and what they do? It just it makes no sense. Right. So uh, I get it. I mean, I'm about as clean energy guy as you can mean. But uh, at the same time, it, you know, people got to keep their the heat and get around now into just what they're doing. I mean, it's just crazy. It's driving all these costs up, trying to kill the energy. And it's just, it's not working though. It's, it's falling apart. Uh, yeah. I think we're going to see this whole thing is collapsing and we're going to see more sovereignty and people are going to take back their countries and kind of move forward. Cause the people, there's a lot of people. <laughs> once the people say enough is enough, it starts to turn. So we'll see. We'll see, but I think uh, I I'm ver feel very hopeful that the C CBDC thing is not going to happen. It doesn't make any sense. People are looking at this now and saying no. Yeah, so the, line, the, the lines are definitely being drawn, and it, it's interesting that a lot of the artists and people at that intersection of tech and creativity are kind of agree with you. Um, yeah. This has been an amazing discussion. I, I want to tie things up quickly um, yeah. just to kind of hopeful and 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 uh, create a creative note but i you know you told that amazing story the 19 year old girl you met in la with the nft project and i thought you know that's really good to hear cuz the last time i was in la i've spent uh, spent a bit of time there um you know been been three or four times had an office there at one point for for a creative project and i remember the last time i was in la i was in this uh, coffee shop just just having a coffee re reading a book and um this girl, like you know, the act, clearly an actress, that parks her motorbike outside the the coffee shop, get gets off, and uh, comes and sits down, you know, sits down at this table, orders coffee, and starts crying and bawling down uh, the phone because um, she's hit her car or something, and um, she basically can't get the insurance on it, so she can't drive it. So she's on the phone and she's like, you know, I can barely make rent. I can barely live like this car is insured. And like the desperation in this girl's voice, the whole coffee shop were just, you could tell like everyone was listening. Oh, and, and I felt so bad about this whole thing. And, you know, just, just listening into it, you know, it was like desperation. And this girl left and there was this other guy sitting there and I was like, whoa, you know, that was really bad. I feel, feel so sorry for that. And he's like, buddy, that's an entire generation out here now. And I was like, well, seriously, like it's bad in the UK, but really? And he was like, yeah, look, LA's always had struggling artists, but he said, buddy, it's on a whole other level now. You have no idea how bad it's got. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, this place, man, this Tinsel Towns, you know, it's going to... Oh, it's yeah. just going down. This was a few years ago. I think it was like at least six yeah. years ago, maybe, maybe, yeah, at least six years ago. And I thought, wow. And that kind of stayed with me. So that NFT story you told me really does give me a little bit of hope. Yeah, I think it's a, we, you know, this is, listen, it's, it's getting, it's getting ugly in this business around mm. here for sure, because there's, 
you know, obviously we're watching this inflation go through the roof. So artists, you know, again, like even guys playing clubs and all that, we, that's how they made their living. Right. You know, they've yeah. enough club gigs, but now those gigs don't pay any money. I mean, I try to tell the story as a musician back 40 years ago when I was playing clubs, you know, or I was making 50 to a hundred bucks a night. You still go play a club today. It's 50 to a hundred dollars. It never even <laughs> changed in 40 years. There's no difference. And it's been, I mean, it's horrible. Musicians yeah, have been, just, you know, and they, and it's even gotten worse. Cause now if you play the club, yeah, you can get the you know, hundred, a hundred to $200 a night. But the, the, the problem is you have to bring the audience. If you don't bring the audience, you don't get paid. So they've actually made it harder. So, uh, and, you know, again, now with all these DJs and karaoke and everything, so it's just, it's pretty much really rough for musicians and artists and stuff to, uh, to make it anymore in this space. But this is the hopeful thing because we don't need tens of thousands of people. You only need a small group of people, but here's the, here's the catch. You have to be creative. You got to be able to tell good stories. You have to create value for the people. If you're not doing that, then it's, you're, you're done. Right. I mean, it's like, again, I always when I start, when I talk to artists, the first thing I ask them, I said, OK, uh, what problem are you solving? And they're an artist and they're like, huh, what do you mean? What problem am I solving? I, I sit around and write songs and smoke fatties. Existential right? like, angst. You know, I just want to go do that. And I'm saying, well, this is a different time right now. It's like because I try to explain to him what you stand for is more important than what you sell. That's just a golden rule for me. I mean, if you people to get a rally cry, to get people to get behind, a, to create a commercial movement, you need a rally cry. To get a rally cry, you got to have something people care about. But the good news is, is we have access to the data now. If I know what I care about and there's things that matter to me and I can build my business around it, there I can go find those people through growth hacking techniques. And I can find my audience now and bring them and control that and have build my business. But I have to get educated, right? I can't just do this out of thin air. That's why I teach space, story, plan, army, conversion, educate. It's the formula for building a business, right? So uh, yeah, this is that time where artists have to step out and start looking at their art and look at the art of business and bring them together. Because most of them don't want to call their fans customers, right? They, they, they don't want to do that. They feel like they're selling out. And I've always been the kind of guy that says, if I can make great art and people buy it, that's just a testament to what's happening. And then that, though, that financing, the money I make from that, I can invest in more art, right? And I can continually building my career. So yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting time, but this technology allows for building businesses like we've never seen before and uh, basically cutting out the middleman and having that direct-to-consumer model. So I'm, I'm very hopeful for those that get in. I'm trying to onboard as many as possible, get them to start learning, because that's the key right now is to get educated and kind of learn what's, how do I do this? But once you do, it's incredible. Well, Scott Page, thanks so much for your yep. time tonight and for joining the UA Tech Podcast. Pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you very much for uh, being there, and I hope I get to see you soon when I come over again. Inshallah, as they say in Dubai. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks again. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Alboaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboweber Business, syndication distribution on Alboweber Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. 
Alpawapa is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.